Mark 10, verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so what, what people are doing here, they're basically they're saying, listen, can we pretty much get divorced for any reason? And back then what was happening was, men had the ability to divorce their wives pretty much for any ridiculous reason that they found her no longer attractive or they, they, they found somebody better. Pretty awful stuff. And so the, the men are approaching Christ with this, basically, hey, isn't it okay that we can do that? And Jesus actually does not answer the question with their premise. He changes the premise. He says, let's not talk about all, these, uh, all the ways out. Let's talk about the purpose of marriage. Let's talk about why it was instituted in the first place. And last week we talked about kind of marriage part one, and this week will be marriage part two. Um, And I think that'll be it, unless somewhere along the way we hit a marriage part three. But I think it'll just be a sequel, uh, and then we'll we'll, we'll advance further as we go through the book of Genesis. But one of the reasons we talked last week about talking about marriage is it's really important for us to know to have a biblical perspective of marriage. Because if you're married, you could be having some worldly perspectives towards your marriage that are harming your marriage. If you're not married... You could have a worldly perspective that either drives you away from the prospect of marriage, like in an unhealthy way. Like, I never want to get married because of maybe perhaps a non-biblical perspective. Or the opposite could be true, that you crave and idolize marriage. I need to get married. I need to find that husband or that wife. But also because of an unbiblical perspective. So looking at marriage is a very important thing for everybody. Um, but... To be honest, the principle I'm giving forward tonight and the principle brought forward tonight is applicable to all regardless of whether you're married or not. It just has especially true implications for two people that are married. And here Jesus brings it back to the premise of, listen, it's not about how to get out of a marriage. It's about how to stay in one. It's about how to actually not even say the D word. That divorce, Jesus does give a clause. We didn't read it, but it's the next sentence about, okay, listen, if there's marital unfaithfulness, sure. Okay. Yeah. Then, then you have grounds. And then Paul in first Corinthians five says, yes, if you're married to somebody who leaves you or they divorce you, then, then, then that's fine. You can't do anything about that. But other than that, marriage should, uh, divorce rather, should never be the second, third, fourth, or even fifth option. It should be something that is much, much further down the line. And so Jesus says, when we talk about marriage, it should be not so much about how to get out of it, but how to perpetuate it, how to actually help it continue, how to help it be healthy, how to help it be awesome. And we live in a world, we talked about it already, we live in a world that struggles big time with this. We talked last week about how no one is compatible with anyone. We live in a world where everyone's like, who's compatible for who? But the reality is we are all fallen, we are all sinful, and the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can have more realistic expectations of what a relationship should look like. But I want to talk tonight about, is it even really possible? How do you, help a, how do you have a healthy marriage? What does that even mean? 
Now, a relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is, is, is a really, is more of the most intimate, probably the most intimate relationship I can think of. But any relationship, any friendship that brings you into proximity with somebody else, uh, when, you, when you do something, it's going to affect them. If you have a roommate or a best friend or even kids, your actions affect them the most, right? And so for all of us, no matter what situation we're in, we got to take a look at, okay, our actions, but also how does it affect those around us? And how do we have our, our cycles of dysfunction in terms of how we deal with friction, okay? How we deal with sin, how we deal with each other. Because it's all, it's all very real in our lives and it can be very devastating for a lot of us. Uh, I want to look at Ephesians 4.15 as well. There was a, uh, a guy named Brent. Uh, he was married to Becky. And Brent, after a few years, he and Becky were in love. They got married. And, I mean, they saw each other in this, you know, that first married kind of light of, you know, rose petal glasses. And they, after a few years, though, Brent had discovered that he actually had feelings for another woman. And he had gone to a Christian counselor and he said, listen, actually, what I feel with this other woman is incredible. She accepts me. She loves me. What I, what I feel around her is the real thing. But I don't feel that way around my wife anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave her. Like, I'm going to go on. I'm going to, you know, divorce her and begin a relationship with this other woman. And the Christian counselor says, but here's the thing. You realize that you're going, you're just going to, the cycle is going to continue over again. When you meet somebody and you have that infatuation, they call it the fall in love. Gary Chapman calls it the falling in love stage. Everything that, just being in that person's presence, everything they do is kind of cute or aw, or he gets, he has little fits of, fits of rage. That's so cute. Or, oh, she kind of, she's kind of controlling. It's so, oh, look at that. She's a little controlling. And all that's okay for like a year or a month or whatever. But at some point, you, you kind of fall out of that infatuation stage, right? And if you don't have a deeper love to fall back on, you're just going to try to find somebody else to be infatuated with. But you're going to end up in the same spot. And the Christian counselor tells Brent this, but Brent doesn't believe him. He says, no, this, this is the real deal. Love shouldn't, love shouldn't have to be a, a hard, deliberate decision. It should be, should be something we just feel. should be just something that is real and that you know, doesn't require much work. And so Brent leaves to go pursue this woman. And after a few weeks, he comes back and he goes, everything that my wife is mad at me for or is angry at me, the parts of my character that frustrate her, this other woman is now bringing those things up to me again. And she's doing it in a much harsher way than my wife ever did. I think I made a horrible mistake. And the Christian counselor says gently, again, like you do when you're counseling somebody, um, you say, well, this is the cycle. This, you've just, you've, You've just gone back to this infatuation stage, but instead of trying to just find, and our world tells us that love should be this involuntary feeling, that like it, you, you just feel, and it's not a deliberate choice. And when you believe that, uh, you're just going to keep going from person to person, from feeling to feeling, instead of making a choice to actually have a deeper truth to fall back on, call it a well of love or something, a deeper foundation of love to begin building with your spouse. And the Bible knows that, God knows that, and in a passage that's actually just a few paragraphs before the incredible marriage passage in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4, verse 15, says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And the goal of every marriage is to be able to speak the truth in love. In fact, that's the goal of every friendship. It's the goal of every parent. It's the goal for all of us in this room to be able to speak the truth in love to each other. Now, your roommate, you're going to be able to see some things with your roommate, perhaps. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to be in closer proximity to them. You're going to see your parents sin. You're going to see your kids sin in a more uh, visual way than maybe others of us would. Uh, and for example, like if, if everyone in the world thought that I was ugly, but Jenny thought that I was beautiful, then it wouldn't matter what the world thought, right? Because my wife values me. My wife has a special, a special voice. Uh, you know, my heart's in her hands, if you want to say that. Like anything she says that's encouraging. If, some, if, if someone off the street said, Drew, you are a great speaker, I'd be like, okay, appreciate it, maybe. But if Jenny said it, I'd be like, you've heard me speak a million times. You've heard me speak the same thing several different times. You've heard some of my worst ones. It would mean more. She has a voice that nobody else has because it's that special kind of relationship. It's the same in any kind of relationship, but I think especially in marriage. But the goal is to speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians tells us here. And it's this, it's this balance of truth and love. It's not just being able to speak the truth, but being able to speak it in love. We talked about this before. Some of us, we're really truthful, but not a lot of love. We just say things. It's just data. It's just, this is how you are. You always do that. You're always late. You're always disrespectful. You always do this. You're doing that. But there's no love. Or we don't, we're afraid of telling the truth because of maybe how we might be perceived. We might hurt their feelings. So we just stuff, we, we, get, we just stuff everything deep down. And we just try to keep everything light and happy and positive. But it's no, there's no real depth. It's just this kind of fake surfacey, And there's a problem with that we'll talk about later. It's not just truth, but it's also love. It's being able to confront, but it's not just being able to, be, to confront, but also to affirm. And that's a really difficult balance. Some of us are very affirming, but we're, we struggle to confront. And some of us confront all the time, but we're not very affirming. And in a world uh, where, you know, without Jesus, it's really hard to have a balance of both of those. Um, and so one of the challenges is uh, to be able to really speak the truth, but to speak it in love. And that, in order to do that, you've got to speak the right language. If you're speaking different languages, you, you see how the guy, he doesn't understand. He's like, oh, I don't know what that means, right? If you're not speaking the right language, if you tell your spouse every day that you love them, you know, in a different language, in Russian or something, they... They would never hear it. Even though you're like, I'm very loving. They would never hear it. So you may, you know, there's another story of a guy who he really appreciated like lavish gifts. And so for his birthday, he really wanted new golf clubs, but he wouldn't, he didn't tell his wife and his wife's very practical. And she's like, he needs new undershirts. <laughs> so she buys him undershirts for his birthday and he's hurt because he wanted, he knows he needed the shirts, but he wanted the golf clubs. Well, her birthday comes around and he does no better because he goes, you know, I'm going to get her. I'm going to just spoil her. I'm going to get her a new fur coat. I'm going to get her the nicest fur coat. But she she got the fur coat and was hurt because she's like, our dishwasher's broken. I we need a new dishwasher and you're getting me a fur coat. So you see how his love language is this lavish material kind of thing. And hers is just practical. They're missing each other. And even though he's like, she's going to love it, she's hurt and vice versa. And so a part, of, a part of loving somebody else, not just in marriage, but in the church, is learning how to speak lovingly to one another. 
Jesus was very good at this. I've talked about this before in John 11 when, Jesus, when uh, Lazarus dies and Jesus uh, to Mary and Martha, two sisters, he says totally different things. With Mary, he cries with her. With Martha, he rebukes her. They, their brother died the same moment and he treats them completely different. Well, because Martha needed a good rebuking, I think. And Mary just needed a friend, someone to cry with. Jesus didn't just say everything to everybody the same. He knew, no, they're different. We've got to learn to speak to each other in the right language. And you know what that takes is a deliberate decision to get to know each other, but to also get to know our spouse and to be able to get to know that primary love language. You talk about all the different love languages, right? Acts of service and words of affirmation. These are very important um, in marriage, especially because it doesn't just work the one way, like I talked about, where Jenny can actually lift me up, but she actually has a special ability to tear me down more than anybody else can. And anybody who has, a, who has an intimate relationship, they have a special ability to do that. And in marriage, especially when you get hurt and you get angry, there's a temptation to actually wield the love language weapon in a harmful way. That if you know, and it's devastating, if you know your husband needs words of affirmation, it will devastate him if you mock him in front of your friends. If you know that your wife, right, needs time together, needs, loves quality time, and you give her the cold shoulder. It'll devastate her. And so it's not just, it, it, we got to be able to learn to love, but also in those moments of anger, those moments of frustration, the temptation is, is actually to wound the other person. And one of the problems in marriage that we see a lot is that after a while, kind of at first, you're willing to be honest and truthful, but maybe you see that they don't take it so well, or they get defensive, or they argue, or they throw it back in your face. So what you might decide to do is, you know what? No more truth. I'm just going to love. I'm just going to stuff things deep down. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to smile, even though he hurts my feelings, even though he's disrespectful, even though he keeps doing the same thing. I'm just going to bury it deep down because I've seen that telling the truth doesn't go so well. Or we go the opposite way, right? Where we get so bitter and angry, we just keep telling the truth with no love. You did it again. You're late again. Here you go. Look at you. You're going to wear that. You know, you just, you get, and it sounds bad, but you just start being negative and all oh, it's just truth. It's not just marriage. It's with kids too. It's with roommates. It's with friends. Yeah. And we can really hurt each other instead of being a place where we, the world tears us down every day. We got to build each other up every day. But instead of te- building each other up and sometimes too, when people are hurting in the church, we love them in our own way. Now I know we're not going to be, you're never going to be Jesus. Jesus knew with Martha and Mary how to do his thing, right? He knew that even though her brother just died, I'm going to rebuke Martha. That's a, that's a bold move, Jesus. But he, he kind of knew what to do there. But I think we have, to, we have to make great efforts to know this brother's hurting, but I know he really appreciates this. That sister's hurting, but I know what really encourages her is this. She loves being affirmed. She, lo- she loves time together. You know, his, this guy's having a hard time, but you know, I know he really appreciates prayer walks. And we have to know each other. That, that's actually a deliberate choice. And I think we have to accept that too in our marriages that love is a deliberate choice. The reason that Brent was struggling was he just thought that the infatuation stage would last forever. He wasn't making deliberate choices to love his wife. If you make deliberate love, love language choices with your spouse, when the infatuation stage ends, you actually, you actually won't even notice because you've been building up that well of love. You've been building up that, 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 that uh, foundation. 
that even though that, that maybe it's like the, the chemistry, and we talked about last time that women today, their number one indicator for finding a husband is chemistry, both physical, emotional, how, basically how they feel, which once again is what the world tells us, how you feel with somebody. But that changes all the time and everything. It's not a deliberate choice. And for men, uh, we talked about wanting a woman who's not going to change them, uh, wanting a, basically wanting to insert a woman into their life without noticing them, pretty much what men want. Um, but if you go into a marriage... Like the world tells you, not wanting to change, not wanting to uh, have to do anything, not wanting to have to make any effort, of course marriage is going to be awful. Of course it's going to be difficult. And I would argue any marriages in the world that are doing well are doing it because they're accidentally doing what Jesus called them to do. Now, if they're not doing well, they simply will smile at their 50-year anniversary, but deep down they've just been stuffing for 50 years. They've just been stuffing emotions and resentment, and they're not really... The enormous potential that a, that a biblical marriage could have is not present because they've simply just, they've abandoned it or they've given up or they've just thrown it in the towel and gotten divorced. Um, an interesting stat, by the way, I'll just throw in there. This is by the, the marriage study that UVA did a few years ago is that um, I think it's 50% of all unhappy marriages will become happy if they stay married. 50% of all marriages that are unhappy will become happy in five years, within five years, if they simply stay married. But there's a heart to just, I'm, I'm done. And I know there's situations in the church where you, you can't control it. Your spouse has done this or that. We talked about that, 1 Corinthians 5, and Jesus understands that. But I think there's a principle, too, of we just can't, we can't give up. We've got to make a deliberate choice to really love our spouses because it's the most important thing in the world. We talk about it with um, one of the, the parenting workshops we do. Um, which is good enough parenting. And the first thing you learn is that the most important thing for your kids, they t- teach this to the men, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife. It's the most important thing a, a, a father can do is not spend time with the kids, not spoil them, but to love his wife. Marriage is a really, really, really important thing, but it's a really difficult thing because as anybody knows, when you, when you share that space together, you're going to hurt each other. And that's, that's the great problem with all of these things. Tim Keller says something. I've actually borrowed a lot of this content from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, if you want to read the book, it's an incredible one by him and his wife. But Tim says the most powerful sign of love in a marriage is a commitment to change, to repent. It's the most powerful sign of love is to commit that I'm going to change. And when we live in a world that says, I don't want to have to change. My, don't make me change. Of course, you're going to go in. It's going to be difficult. You're going to stand still. You're not going to have a heart to actually lower yourself, a heart to submit, a heart to sacrifice yourself for your spouse. But it's, we got we to gotta make, make sure that love is a deliberate choice. Our hearts are very complex, and I don't want you to think that every marriage is going to go great if you just do the love languages, but it's a very good practical. But our hearts are very complex. You know, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that. Um, we got to do the hard and deliberate work of knowing your spouse and loving him or her fittingly That's a foundation to any good marriage. Culture thinks of love as an involuntary feeling and not a conscious action. This fundamental skill is often missed entirely, but a commitment to change and repent is one of the most powerful signs of love you can give in a marriage. There's no better way uh, to be able to also commit to your spouse and and, and as a sign of love than to grow spiritually and to be able to do these things in, in in a spiritual way. But we got to get really good at loving and forgiving. Just later down in Ephesians 5, this passage also quotes Genesis 1 and 2, by the way. So we're still 
touch in Genesis. But Ephesians 5, 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how he begins the great marriage passage. Now, Paul's not married. He's giving advice to marrieds. A little side note to the marrieds out there. Are you willing to take, take advice from singles? Yes. Yes? Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Paul is writing. Paul is writing to marrieds. I think that's awesome. So we should have the heart to listen to Paul and the heart to listen to each other. Amen. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Is actually the marriage, the man and the wife, the husband and the wife actually should submit to each other, not because they love each other, but because they love God. And not just love God, they revere God. That's actually the word uh, phobos in Greek, phobia. That's fear of God. Over, you're so overwhelmed by who Christ is that you submit to each other, that you put his needs before your own or vice versa. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Both challenges for the husband and wife is to lower yourself. The husband should sacrifice and the wife should submit. Both have to do with humility. So the, the, the problem with all that, though, as we can see by our buddy here, who's been married maybe for a few months, <laughs> having a hard time. But the, the problem is, is we feel the sting of our spouse's sin the strongest. And so when you're a doctor and you find out your patient has cancer, it's like a discovery, but you're a third party. If you're a therapist and you find out your patient has depression, it's a discovery, but it's a third party. If you're a wife and you find out your husband is selfish, he's being selfish to you. If you're a a husband and you find out your wife is arrogant, she's being arrogant and, and, and punitive toward you. You're feeling the brunt of your spouse's sin. That's why it's so difficult. You're not some third party saying, I've noticed this from behind the the two-way glass, right? You're actually saying, nope, that's why it's so difficult because you're actually getting hurt, but you've got to be able to tell the truth. You've got to be able to confront your spouse and say, that hurt me. That was disrespectful toward me. That made me feel this way. You got to be able to speak the truth in love. But the problem is, is what most couples feel is like I said earlier, they tell the truth at first, but it doesn't go well. The husband maybe overreacts or gets defensive or the wife uh, gives the husband the cold shoulder. And then what they might do is they might say, well, I can't tell the truth to my husband. I'm just going to be positive all the time. I'm just going to love. I'm just going to affirm, but I'm never actually going to speak the truth because it didn't go so well. The lie, the lie is that it's just a superficial marriage. It's shallow. There's no real love. Then the problem with that is if you get hurt and stop telling the truth to your spouse and just kind of love them, then even if you do affirm them and tell them that how great they are, they won't believe it because you're always just lying. You're always just saying good things. And so you, it's this vicious, horrible cycle. And so you, but the the balance would be to be able to accept somebody in their sin, but to also affirm them, to be also build them up. But how in the world is that possible? How can you actually do that? Um, You guys ever heard of a gem tumbler? Uh, Do I have a slide for this? I think I might. 
It's not now, so I'm just going to a little suspense. It's in two slides. So think of a gem tumbler. If you can't picture one, probably can't picture one. It'll be coming up next. But it'll, it'll relate to what we're saying for sure. But when we talk about, I just had some practicals. When we have trouble with truth and love, it's usually, we got to get really good at forgiving and repenting. That's the two things we got to have. If you're a, a marriage that's good at forgiving and repenting, things are going to be awesome. Now, Jesus in uh, Mark eleven twenty five, I believe, uh, if you want to jot that down, Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus says, when, if someone has some, if you're praying and you realize you have a sin against somebody, what does it say? It says, forgive them. Forgive them right then and there. Now, I, you're probably thinking, hold on, I thought, I thought that if I have a sin against somebody, I have to go confront them. That's what I thought I'm supposed to do. But the Bible says, forgive them first, then confront them. Because if you go confront them without forgiving them, then it's just revenge. It's just, I want you to feel how hurt I felt. You did this to me. You did that to me. You did, and you haven't forgiven them. And then they get hurt. They get bitter. And so we spread this kind of like bitter. And then we all get nervous to tell the truth. We become like every other church out there that's just superficial and love and affirm, but never confront. But that's the all important issue. We got to forgive that brother, that sister first, forgive your spouse first, then confront because it's not revenge. You're actually doing it because you care about them, not to get tit for tat. But if you have trouble forgiving, anybody who has trouble forgiving has a trouble with one thing. It's your pride. If you cannot forgive, most likely you're telling yourself, I can't forgive them because I would never do something like that. I would never do something like that. They did what? I would never. It's pride. It's superiority. You're looking down on others. Like Romans 12, 3 says, do not consider yourself more highly than you ought. If you, you have trouble forgiving, then it's pride. Wow. Got to go after that. Okay. Do you have trouble affirming? Um, sometimes we have trouble affirming. We have trouble affirming people because we've been wounded. We've been hurt. And uh, it doesn't really, even if we do affirm, it doesn't really mean anything. The other one that's really big is trouble confronting. This one I especially thought was useful because if, if we get down on ourselves, if we're someone who's down on ourselves or we commit a lot of self-loathing, then our spouse's opinion of us will matter way too much. And so we'll do all we can to make sure they have a good opinion of us. So we'll never try to confront them. If you're down on yourself or you have self-loathing, then it may be far too important for you to have your spouse always pleased by you. You will not be able to explain to your spouse how much he or she has hurt you. Uh, you, you won't be able to confront and forgive. You'll stay resentful and you'll hide it. You'll bury it deep down. And so all these, three, all these things, I want to ask you tonight, which one is the hardest for you? Which one do you have trouble doing? Now we get to the tumbler. So... A gem tumbler. I actually didn't know what this was, but apparently you take gems and you stick them in a tumbler and it, 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 they tumble around and they look rough like this, but they bounce and they hit and they actually knock off all the impurities uh, and they, they turn into looking like that. So it's nuts. So you take a gem tumbler and you put gems in there and they, they, you know, it tumbles around and they hit and they bounce and they knock off all the uh, rough parts and they become smooth. So the problem with a gem, uh, a gem tumbler is that if you just do that, they won't actually smooth them. 
uh, they'll just, if you don't add, if you don't add the, um, the, uh, grind, uh, the grind compound, then they'll just actually be, they'll just hit each other and they'll split and they'll break and they'll crumble. You have to add the gem compound so that it, they won't destroy each other. They'll actually help each other. And then over time, you get something beautiful, incredible, something precious, something valuable. And so if we go after this love language thing tonight without the, the grind compound, the grinder compound, if we go after it, we'll simply, we're just going to break, we're going to hurt each other, and our marriages are going to crumble. We have to bring that element, that, 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 that X factor. And what is it? What allows us to be able to affirm yet confront, to tell the truth yet do it in love? And it's grace. We have to be able to be in God's grace and know God's grace. And we can have grace with each other. That's the incredible factor in all this. We cannot remove Jesus. The question is, how can we love each other in our own language? How can we, how can we really do that? Why? What's the incentive? And the reality is, is that remember in the Old Testament, Moses couldn't see God. He was too glorious. Moses had to cover his face. God could not love us in a way that we could understand. But he had to, God had to send Jesus in human form to become the servant of man, to be able to love us in a, in a language that we could understand. God had to send Christ to be able to do that. And when we think about that, that Jesus, who is in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, yet lowered himself and became a servant and obedient to death. If Jesus was willing to speak our language so that we could know how much he loves us, but not just how much he loves us, but how much he knows our sin as well. Our sin, we can feel like our sin crucifies our spouse, but in reality, our sin actually crucified Jesus. So how can somebody who's, we talk about, Drew, how can I, how can I accept my spouse if she keeps hurting me? How could Jesus then accept you after you kept hurting him? But Jesus, who knows you way more intimately than anybody ever will, still decided to accept you in imperfect truth and love, in perfect confrontation of your, the reality of your sin, but also acceptance to die for you on the cross, Jesus actually shows us what it is to be married. And Paul says that back there in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as Christ, or the church does to Christ. And husbands, love your wives as Christ gave himself up for the church. Marriage's great mystery is to be like Jesus. You know, it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came so that we could know how much he loved us, but also know the reality of the depth of our nastiness, of our sin, of our sexual sin, of our pride, of our arrogance, of our self-centeredness. Jesus confronted us with our sin, but affirmed us with his love. Ephesians 2 says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so how can we speak the, why would we learn the language of love for each other? Because Jesus learned it for us. And how can we continually forgive our spouse after they've hurt us so many times? Because he did so for us. And we can let the reverence of God actually inform us on how to treat our spouses. And then we actually won't look back on our wedding photos and think, man, how beautiful were we back then? But you'll actually, over time, realize that you've become more beautiful over time. And just like those gems, 
Just like those gems who were rough at first, but needed time to be able to have your impurities dealt with through, through marriage and through grace. After time, to be able to look at, wow, the world, God, we can actually see the beauty of this marriage 50 years later. We've actually seen the enormous potential of a biblical Christian marriage. And it's not to have our needs met. It's not to be able to feel, to, you know, to have my, my self-freedom um, validated. But it really is to put somebody else's needs before my own, to sacrifice myself for my wife, to put her needs ahead of mine, and over time to be able to see that this, that this marriage thing that was instituted before sin, that was instituted at the beginning of time, that God begins his Bible with a wedding and ends it with a wedding in Revelation, that this must be something important and it's an opportunity. Not everybody has to get married, but for those of us that have chosen to get married, it's an opportunity to be like Christ. Let's not run away from it. And for those of us that don't decide to get married, let's implement these principles with our brothers and sisters in the church. Let's learn the love languages of our roommates, of our friends, of our kids, the people we're reaching out to, people that hurt us. It doesn't have to be our spouse. It could be anybody. Let's all live this out. And if we all did, if we all affirmed each other, but also were able to confront each other, that would be a blast. I would be able to hear your criticalness of me, but still trust, but still be, but still our friendship wouldn't be on the rocks. We could still actually hang out, but we'd be able to be truthful to each other, but be able to grow and be able to look a little bit more like Christ. Just like Caleb did with me today, he was honest with me. He was real with me. He confronted me, but he did it in love. And so for all that reason, appreciate that, buddy. So we're going to go ahead and pray.